and welcome to episode eight of the Pro Painted podcast. Um, so this is one of the episodes where um, we have got a guest on for you. Um, I'm joined by uh, Mr. Ian Gilmore this time. Hello. How are you? I'm very good, Matt. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Can't complain. It's um, it's currently a, a Wednesday afternoon, so we're going to be releasing this on the Friday. So um, it feels good to be recording again. You know, if we're getting these two weekly episodes out, which is fantastic. Not well, I say two weekly. I don't know why I always use that terminology. It's clearly the wrong thing to say. It's not two weekly, is it? It's every two weeks. Fortnightly. Fortnightly. Yeah, that's a weird word. Every two weeks. And, of course, this episode, it all revolves around this guy. So we have Chris Mills on the episode. How are you? Evening. How are you? Yeah, good. Thank you, sir. Welcome on board. Welcome on board. Um, and it's great to kind of have you on because you were, when we were doing the early episodes and we kind of proposed the idea of getting people on the podcast, you were one of the first people to kind of bite our hands off for that. So that's brilliant. It's, it's, it's excellent to, you know, to get you on, um, you know, as part of this part of this format. Um, Byron only um, kind of pipped you to it because he was he was super mega, mega, super mega, mega keen. So, you know, there you go. <laughs> cool. and, and he was ready Thanks to go. Obviously, you know, you're more than welcome. So um, just the usual bits and bobs. Um, we're not going to kind of cover our own personal hobby um, as we would do on the normal episodes. Um, just want to cover, you know, the, the usual going ons. Um, so the, we've got the usual show sponsors. Um, we've got Mercia Miniatures. And I can tell you now, if you've picked up some of the Nurgle stuff and you're kind of looking for some different models, keep your eyes open for Mercia. They are coming out with some amazing Nurgle-orientated models. Don't want to spoil too much, but, yeah, some really, really cool stuff coming from them. And um, I've just recently finished a couple of their Blight Beasts uh, to use as Beasts of Nurgle. So, you know, again, I've mentioned them before, but they really, really are worth looking at. Um, and this episode, um, and for the foreseeable future, we have a new official sponsor, which is uh, Curtain Games. So it's spelled K-I-R-T-O-N, Games. Uh, the website is those two words, so curtaingames.co.uk. Now, you may have heard me mention these chaps in the past, the reason being that we um, we kind of got guided to a one-day um, AOS event um, they did at their their store. Now, this is um, uh, in Crediton, which is just outside Exeter, so not far for us at all. I think it was 15-odd quid for a one-day event. And we went down, and you kind of, you don't, you don't think too much of it sometimes. And they were so, I, I've never been anywhere, um, having not known any of the guys, and it was so welcoming. Even with, for us as, you know, regular tournament attendees, they were they were just lovely they wanted to talk they wanted to communicate they wanted to know what they could do better for events in the future you know they were proactively talking and listening so it was a really really positive experience for us so much so that when they did an event um two weekends ago we went to that as well um and again same thing that improved um you know when you say improve it's not that they were doing anything wrong but they managed to literally put on another fantastic event. So, yeah, no, so I don't know if you guys saw this, but um, they they have an area called The Loft, um, which is really kind of their gaming area. And it's if you imagine it like being like an upstairs area in like a slightly old kind of house, um, it's all decked out with wooden beams and everything. And they actually kick-started the gaming area. So they've actually got... Oh, like, nice 
proper lighting up there. They've got Twitch set up and they live stream the games on Table 1, for example. Um, so it's all new. It's all quite fresh. And that's kind of their, their approach going forward. So they are a hobby store. Um, so, you know, I, I would, if you want to, you know, support our podcast, most certainly do go and have a look on their website. Um, obviously, they are selling, you know, GW products alongside anything else you'd expect. Um, they're very... Um, into X-Wing um, so Star Wars Legion will be a big thing for them so do check them out they have the, all the usual discounts but you know if maybe you kind of want to support somebody who you know they're kind of starting you know not, not starting up but they're, they're they're very much kind of finding their feet and um, somebody we really want to support and is a really good relationship with for us so they're going to be sponsors going forward if you want to support that relationship which is great for both of us please do go and have a look on their website maybe kind of try them out compared to your usual suppliers um, you know and they have the livestock systems and everything so it's not like the old days I don't know if you guys well I don't know if you guys have ever used anything like Wayland Games um or in the in, back in the day there used to be um you think of maelstrom yes maelstrom another one. that maelstrom see so, yeah, i don't know if you guys ever used maelstrom in the past but their stock system was horrendous you could order stuff and you didn't know if it was in stock or not it was just a nightmare so they're another company that's taken on board this kind of you know if you buy something it says it's got three in stock they've got three in stock so yeah sounds good do check, good. Yeah. Do, do check them out and also um if you fancy trying out one of their events again it's a one day um 18 pound because they're now doing um trophy support for the events as well which is something they've taken on board from from us going um they've got their next event on the 26th of may uh they call them blood death and vengeance so again really chilled really laid back um exactly what you'd expect match play 2000 points aos general's handbook 2017 um no painting requirement though um because they're trying to kind of grow the local scene but most armies are painted that's a good cool. idea how big is the venue matt well they're they're kind of growing um when i said about them being in an old house imagine them being in kind of an old pub and there's like got all the, like, the different side rooms so they're expanding yeah. out so i think when we went up they had about i think it was about 15 tables initially but they've gone out to 26 i mean they've mm. even got set right. up a room where it's like a communal podcasting room so you can go in. So us three, we live locally. We could pop into the store, record our podcast on their equipment, and then release it online. So you'd have no wow, costs that's... whatsoever. You just use all their gear. So, you know, it's, it's really interesting to see these kind of places and how they're approaching the, the, all the different avenues you can get with the war game stuff. I think it's, it's just brilliant. And I think it's worth rewarding at the end of the day. Yeah. So yeah. that's enough of that. So do check them out. Um, and it's cracking to the meat of it. So, Chris, we met. I think we probably all kind of. Yeah, I think you were Heat Two as well, weren't you, Ian? Yeah, yeah, it was Heat Two. Yeah, Heat Two yeah. last year. So I think the first time we'd kind of bumped uglies, if you would, would would have been Heat Two. And we obviously we we played because I played against your Sylvaneth. Yeah. So, so what I'm interested in is what brought you because I hadn't seen you any kind of tournaments beforehand. What brought you to? AOS, what, what's been your journey with that, and particularly kind of what brought you to Heat 2? So um, I've been in the hobby a lot of years anyway, and uh, it was I was, I was quite a big um, fantasy player, oh. and I kind of dipped out kind of end of 7th edition, start of 8th edition. Um, took a little bit of kind of hobby break, maybe had a year or two off, and then um, the gaming group 
like well you know the local lads there's um kind of six or seven of us who are all ex-staff we just um pile around someone's house once a week and play oh that's um, cool and it, it's mainly 40k to be honest but um a couple of the lads are then starting up aos and um at first yeah i totally read it off and was like oh, four pages of rules you know kind of a bit on a you know one of the uh cry wanks from seventh edition <laughs> um but but um yeah as soon as the um general's handbook came out point systems that that really kind of set me up and uh obviously dipping out at seventh edition i kind of missed all the end times models and everything as well so yeah. when i kind of re-ventured back into it there was a lot of models that weren't there before obviously the entire stormcast range so I was pretty motivated, to be honest. The new, the Sylvaneth were the first things that kind of grabbed my attention. Beautiful models, um, big Wood Elf player in seventh edition as well. Um, so, so that was what what dragged me back. And then, uh, yeah, just randomly bought a heat ticket. Didn't um, didn't go with any of the lads from my group or anything. Just was just wanted to go see what it was like and and give it a crack so that's what that's what brought me back yeah had you done any you said you were playing in seventh did you do any events any gw or otherwise in seventh did you play any tournaments yeah i did i didn't um i didn't do any independence at all but i did um a couple of gw heats i got um heats and finals um a couple of years um with skaven yeah um so yeah i don't i think that was back in the time where you got a free final ticket if you uh if you qualified from the heat so yeah i think that's an issue how they set it up because I, I personally i kind of i wasn't doing tournaments in seventh i don't think i actually played any um tournaments i the, the group was so the black sun as it was they were doing them very regularly uh, yeah but i didn't really i i was playing but i didn't take the jump into tournaments until it really was the start of eighth so it's interesting that kind of for me, my hobby came together in eighth edition. That, that's kind of when it happened for me. But you kind of got that that gap between the two. Yeah, that was kind of where I kind of fell out of it. I'd I'd left GW as a staff member, so um, after a couple of years working there, it kind of burnt out on hobby a bit. Mm, so needed to um, yeah, yeah, needed to just take a bit of a break from it and refresh. And then when I came back, everything was was very different. It moved on an awful lot. Yeah. And um, one of the things I'm, I'm always interested in is of, when I when I played you at um, Heat Two, had you within that group you're talking about had there been much? Had you been playing much AOS at all? No, I think um, I'd played two games before I went to Heat Two. Right. Okay. Nice. Nice. So I think I, I think I finished ninth, which I was pretty impressed with, to be honest, considering oh, yeah. that was like my first eight games of AOS. But you took me clean off. <laughs> I think that was luck more than judgment. <laughs> Yeah, it's you know at the end of the day you can only play the game that's out in front of you and it's you know looks a factor but you've got matchup and scenario and everything um yeah of course but uh, there was a particularly epic scene i remember when we were playing when i had uh bellacor had he'd, he'd taken some damage he'd run all the way over into a corner <clears throat> and you're a larry i just kind of eyed him up and went right mate you're not fucking hiding over there warms up a throwing arm puts a lance straight through it straight through him i'm like oh, i'm four up ignoring man i don't really care dead skew it in a wanna take him off and i still yeah, still remember yeah. that remember that to to this day um yeah that'll serve him right for interfering with her <laughs> see <laughs> you meant oh yeah of course yeah, yeah i forgot uh, bananas um yeah so for those who 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 won't who may not be aware um when i field bellacore he's got he's got a rule where he manipulates people on the table 
and you can reveal this and it can stop them doing something for a turn. So um, in that game, it was unsurprisingly, it was a Lariel, um, which I think it worked. I think it kind of kept you in like a, a wooded yeah. area for a little bit. So um, Yeah, I think it wrecked her for the whole turn. Yeah, I think it couldn't move or shoot or... There you go. Got, got, but you got your own back. Took, took and clean she off. did. No wanna. Yeah. yeah, that was a good shot. I, I remember as well, I think it was like... I think it was something like 30 inch range, and I think he was yeah. like 29 and a half inches away. Yeah, he, he couldn't get right. any further in that corner to hide from her. Yeah. Brilliant. So what was it? Um, You've mentioned about the Sylvaneth and the lovely models and being a Wood Elf player. So you're making the step into AOS. So what really was it that drew you to the Sylvaneth? Because you mentioned the new models. So obviously, we would have had Stormcast then. We would have had the new Bloodbound stuff. So what were you yeah. looking for when you were coming into AOS? Um, I don't know really. I mean, I'd, you know, I I did buy the um the kind of starter set, so I had um the Stormcast half of that. Um, my friend Martin he took the corn half, um, but I didn't even build them. They just sat in the box, and and I kind of left them. And then, um, I can't really remember what it was that attracted me to the um to the Sylvaneth. I just remember seeing. I think it must have been Alariel and and just right. been taken t- just taken aback by the model, the quality, the size. Um, obviously, if you kind of remember seventh edition, everything was a lot smaller. So even a Bloodthirst was probably half the size of what Alariel is now. Yeah. Back then, so I think it was just you know the sh- the sh- sheer size of her, um, and then obviously all the new the beautiful like Tree Lord models. Um, yeah, Dreicher, fantastic. It just all, it all looked the, – the models looked good, and then I just instantly kind of had a colour scheme in mind. I thought, you know, autumn straight away, bright orange, lots of foliage. The, the army just kind of – just looking at the outside of a box, the whole army just came together in my head, and then I just had to had to buy it. Brilliant. And you mentioned there that um, it's interesting – uh, for me, anyway, this idea that you know, kind of, you you you, you weren't playing an eighth ed and that you'd gone from seventh. So I suppose for you, that transition of kind of the releases that were around in seventh compared to what AOS was pumping out. Um, obviously, you've gone for because Sylvaneth really were one of the first full army releases, um, you know, and where yeah. even in eighth edition, I don't know if you remember this, Ian, as well, but you'd get an army book come out and you get all this, you get half the book would be stuff that weren't models didn't exist for it. Yeah. It's kind of, it was kind of strange. There was, there was a couple where it, it took years for models to appear. Yeah. And some even, they just never, never came out at all, which is quite odd. So yeah, it was kind of the AOS seems to turn the corner on that, isn't it? Everything in the box got something to buy, which is good. Yeah. So, um, Yes, much much busier release schedule than what kind of like I said when I was playing sixth and seventh, you know there was probably uh, you know a year go by without a, a for, you know fantasy release seemed like anyway sometimes. Yeah, it really it really really did. So how did you go about with, uh, the, collecting the Sylvaneth army, Chris? Did you buy it all in one go and build it and then do it as one, or did you yeah pick it up yeah, over time? That's pretty much how I do all of them. Yeah, I think the. The Sylvaneth, I think I, I decided to um, to go to Heat Two, bought a ticket, and then was like, oh, I suppose I need an army. So, I think that was about six weeks I had. Is the you know, I think that was about the time frame I had to do them all. So I went out and bought the whole lot um, in one go, sat built them all, 
and then yeah, just started started on the colour scheme from there. Well, that's quite impressive. Yeah, I kind I tried. It was it was like a you know small kind of conscious effort to keep the model count low. Um, obviously in in six weeks there's a lot to lot to get done. So, kind of swapping out big units of dryads instead for just tree revenants. So small units of five gave me a bit more time to kind of. I think there's only 30, something like thirty three models in the army. Um, so when you split it down like that, you go kind of like right. It's one one model a day. You know dryads. I can probably get three or four done in a day and that'll give me an extra couple of days to work on Alariel. Yeah. Who probably took as long on her as it did for the rest of the army put together, to be honest. It probably ended up splitting the time fifty fifty between her and and the rest of the army really. She she took a good kind of week of constant two or three hours a night. So the wife was a superstar washing up, wiping up and cooking for me <laughs> while I was just hanging <laughs> at the table. You were literally like a baby, just like sat there cuddling your Alario. Yeah. Like, she wasn't clean, literally cleaning up after you, was she? You just sat there with your uh, piss no, bucket no. and your shit bucket, and it's like, <laughs> come on, Chris, let's give you a wipe down. Oh, Could have paint my Lario. <laughs> no, um, there was actually a strange story with that Lario. She, um, the miss is going to kill me if she listens to this. I was, um, I was in the upstairs sp- uh, spare bedroom, and. It was like um, it was cold and raining outside, so I decided to just open the window wide open and, and spray paint her black uh, undercoat right. from from out of the spare bedroom. Um, I'm sorry, Mel, please don't kill me. And I dropped her out of the window, right. and was like absolutely mortified. And uh, I ran outside downstairs to look, and she wasn't there. And I looked up, and there's like a um, outside our front door. There's like a little kind of porch lobby bit above the door. Yeah. And turns out she's only fell like two foot out of this window. <laughs> so she was um she broke off the base, but everything else was was unbroken, so I managed to just grab it and yeah, that's get a bullet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Re- really, because you know, if she'd have hit the concrete path, that'd have been yeah. by so shame she didn't like go in the gutter and like start collecting like leaves and little bits of twigs and stuff. You'd be like, Oh yeah, huh, that's quite good actually, I just paint like that. Yeah. Yeah, just you know, covered it in PVA and rocked out. <laughs> Brilliant, brilliant. So, um, one of the things that's worth noting is that so you've gone from you've gone from seventh, you've not played eighth, you've gone to heat two, you've painted an army in six yep. weeks, and yep. you um, you got yourself a, a nomination for best army at um, heat two while we were there as well. Yeah, and yeah, well chuffed with that. Really, that was my kind of my main goal for the weekend. Obviously, not having played the game, I didn't really know how I was going to get on. Um, like I said, I was quite quite competitive in in seventh and. I was quite competitive in 40k as well. Not really too many kind of um, tournaments as such, but um, you know, within my gaming group, I'm usually kind of top top couple really. Um, probably a bit gamey, I suppose is what you'd call it, but not not too bad. But I'm I'm a yeah, friendly competitive player. Yeah. So yeah, the but the main goal with that was yeah, just to kind of get the get the painting norm. That was the the whole achievement for the weekend um so it's very very tough to get that especially with the quality of stuff that was there as well because if memory served you also um didn't you have a you had a display board for the army um no i didn't for the sylvaneth no but you did have you definitely had a, a custom army list display though didn't you yes i did i've done an army list display and um i did a like a dice tray as well that i um 
made out of um like twigs and yeah logs and stuff like that i've done done a lot of extra like little bits and pieces for it sure what kind of what encouraged you to do those what was your thoughts behind them i I really don't know to be honest um that just just kind of randomly came to me and i was like well it would look cool with the army set out and then if i can just do a an army list holder or something to display at the back that would that would kind of draw the eye and you know get people to come over and have a look um I just thought that might be might be really cool, and with the the clump foliage and all the extra bits I put on top of the Sylvaneth to kind of um, add a bit of brightness and add a bit of character to them, I used that clump the exact same stuff on this army list holder to kind of tie it in. I'd done some dry brushing on it, some highlights, so it wasn't just kind of plain wood. So it almost kind of looked like it was painted the same as what the army was yeah. to kind of tie all together. And I and I actually think it's quite. Um it's genuinely a clever thing to do um and i mean not just from you know you're talking about getting people to you know canvassing votes put that to the side you know giving people a reason to vote for you particularly with the gw heats where a couple of us are interested in exactly kind of what their process is and it's still a little bit of a kind of somewhat of a mystery about what does get chosen to get to get put up I'm not saying there's anything inherently wrong with yeah. what gets chosen to go up but the kind of thoughts behind it because most certainly what we would normally expect to see at non-GW events isn't always reflected in the armies that, that, that are chosen for display at the GW events. So yeah, I think there's something to take away from what you've done there, which is that those extra kind of, um, let's call them embellishments, if you were, those extra kind of touches that you've done to your army, not only do they draw people to look at it, um, but also that you're drawing the people who are kind of walking around the hall and they've got... 86 players or 100 players for some of the the final events to actually come and yeah. look at the army so i think they're a very good idea if people are listening and they're thinking you know i'm maybe i'm a whip worried my color scheme because i know chris chris tomlin the black sun's had a similar thing where his iron jaws are yeah. lovely but they're very dark color scheme so unless you go and look at them sometimes you can't quite appreciate how well they're done but maybe yeah. you know, if he had a massive centerpiece or these extra embellishments, then it can draw people to the army. Yeah, for sure. Um, Steve, who came with me to uh, GT Finals, he's a, a friend of mine. He actually got nominated um, for best army at GT Finals as well, and um, his armies are lovely. They're so crisp. They're what I would call kind of Games Workshop painting. Right. They look. They're kind of. Um, they're they're really well done, and they look. They they could you could put them in a codex or an army book. Or anything like that, it, you know, it's really nicely done. But because there's not kind of like super bright colours or anything like that, it you know, it does get missed. But they're really well, really nice, really nice army that is. Yeah. So uh, that was nice to see him getting on and get up there as well. Yeah, it's always great to see friends, you know, that you, that you admire as painters and you know you appreciate the effort they put into their armies, get nominated for things. Yeah. Ian, have you ever kind of you've you've never been one of those people that do these extra kind of little touches? Um, uh, is it something you've kind of considered no. going forward, or are you always going to be a box art wanker painter? Um, yeah, <laughs> probably. I find it difficult to find the time to do the extra stuff. Right. Because I normally work to a deadline. Yeah. So anything, so when it gets to the end, I'm yeah, I just decide to have a, have a week off <laughs> rather than add in a load of extra shit that I don't need to do. Yeah. Um. Yeah, because I'm, I'm not that imaginative either, so which doesn't help. 
interestingly, when um, last year with the run up to South Coast, um, obviously I was competing for the the Coolest Army Award. Um, it, it did feel a little bit like kind of um, racing against Steve Foot a little bit because he'd kept kind of putting out little things that he was doing. And I was going, oh, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and you know, I'm going to have some music playing, and I'm going to have my army list in a little book that people can flick through, and I'm going to have some pictures, and I'm going to go in a costume. And it does, it really does escalate. As soon as you start going down that rabbit hole, you can get pretty fucking far down it, I tell you. Yeah, but it worked out well for you, so all good. Yeah, there you go. Let's yeah. see. You want to draw people to look at your army? All the have a little think about those extra embellishments i think they're um they're worth kind of considering and it's something that i'm thinking about for south coast later this year as well so we'll see um so one of the things i wanted to mention so you you came straight on to the aos scene you got yourself heat two you got yourself a cheeky nomination did you go to the finals off your performance at heat two did you do heat three yes, at all? yes no i didn't do heat three i got um i finished ninth in heat two so um super chuffed with that that finish um and then you decided that i'm chris mills and i'm not taking the sylvan f army again i'm gonna do a whole new brown 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 a whole new brand new brand new army for for finals so what did, yeah. what, what did you mind what did you turn out for finals um so i done the the stormcast um it was actually um it kind of came from heat two really as such because um i think it was terry um, Terry and Les came over to me and said, you know, I think you've got this um, Heat 2. They thought I was going to win the best army. Mm. Um, and they said, you know, personally, we voted for Ian because technically it's better. Yeah. But yours is kind of like um, appealing, you know, because of the bright colours and stuff. And you'll get a lot of votes from that. Um, so when it didn't win, and I thought, well, you know, this isn't going to win um, another one. So I need to do something that's technically better than what this is. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, like um, you were obviously on the Black Sun podcast, weren't you? And you said about kind of um, airbrushing and, and bright colours and stuff. So I thought, right, I'm going to go kind of the other way. Yeah. I'm going to stick to just paintbrushes and um, kind of leave the airbrush for a bit, try and drop the gimmicks, but just do something that's technically painted very well. Yeah. It's interesting you just say about um, uh, Les and Terry's comments because actually that's actually a good example of when and you I mean it's fine it's funny I don't know if you guys think this but sometimes do you feel a little bit kind of a little bit painting gamey when you're thinking like that about going up for nominations and people voting for your army you can't, I I kind of feel a little bit bad about it sometimes. Um, no, no, no. I I personally anyway I you can't have any influence over the decisions of others so if people vote for it they vote for it yeah so i i I disagree and the reason why i was going to say that is that going on what what chris has just mentioned there is that that those are considerations for the army so like chris said he's got an army which visually very appealing will draw people to it and it will get votes but then you'll get people like les and terry um perfect examples of they understand that Ian's army is very nicely painted, you know, uh, technically very well done. I mean, pretty much the pinnacle of an Iron Jaws army, let's be honest. It's beautiful. So they'll vote for that. So I, I, I agree with Chris and I understand it kind of going, where can I kind of get the line between the two? Yeah. 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 I think that was what it, what it kind of came down to because at the end of the day, I could have maybe done a few bits extra to the, 
Sylvaneth, but they were never going to be technically on that level. So um, if I wanted to try and kind of, it was quite funny actually, because one of your earlier podcasts, you were saying, do you think people ever go and try and just win best painted? And that was like my entire goal for the whole kind of tournament thing. I didn't care if I came last every game, you know, lost every game, came last. I was just there for for painting really. Um, And after a few events now, I've kind of come around the other way. I'd like to kind of be up there in the gaming, but also competing for painting. But originally, yeah, that was just kind of the goal. Fair play. I mean, it's bloody hard. I mean, that is painting an army, to, uh, painting an army, and like I say, just because of what I've mentioned, because you have to appeal to so many different people, um, so many different approaches. I mean, genuinely, fair play for going going down that route. Um, you know, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it at all. And at the end of the day, it's brilliant because everyone gets to look at a nicely painted army. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, kind of. It's one of those considerations. Um, that you have to kind of have, don't you, between kind of technical aspect and yeah. and um, getting something that's like you say appealing to everyone. So, kind of taking taking that on board, what was your how was how was the finals for you then? So you've painted this army. So we'll go into the painting um, shortly. We'll have a little break. But what I'm, yeah. what I'm interested in, what were you like on the day? Were you were you checking out the other armies kind of, you know, every spare minute you had kind of walking around, seeing what else is out there, or were you just kind of staying in your own little world and waiting until the nominations went up? What was your, what were you kind of thinking when it was, when it was all happening? Cause you were there for the painting. Yeah, I was there for the painting. I mean, it was face hammer the, the weekend before, yeah. um, and painted by G took that. Um, but the guys at, um, face hammer were great. They said it was obviously a super tight, super tight thing and um G, g's army was fantastic if you haven't seen it you do need to to get online and have a look at it it's a beautiful army and and he's put an awful lot of hours in he's got a display yeah. board where everything kind of slots into place and they've all got like scenery on the bases which kind of connect is fantastic um so um i was, I was you know I, I managed to get obviously joint second with with ian at face hammer um which i was over the moon at um so coming into finals the weekend after um i was kind of just like well you know i've got 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 second place i was pretty happy with that i was still desperate obviously to win a a best painted but come that weekend it was just kind of part luck really i didn't really i didn't really know terry's obviously terry pike is always up there you know he's going to be top three leather stormcast army's beautiful as well yeah um so it's it's kind of you know, w- walking around, you kind of get uh, you kind of get an idea of who's going to be the top kind of six or seven anyway, don't you? But yeah, I had no kind of um, I didn't, I genuinely didn't think I was going to win it that weekend. So that was that was the opinion when I got there. Right. I got I got my order wrong. I don't know why I thought the I thought um, Face Hammer was after the uh, the GT finals, but. Yeah, obviously not. Um, <laughs> yeah, so as you say, you, you not only this, you went to, again, Facehammer, another big event, um, which yeah. I think Facehammer's as big as a heat, really. Let's be honest, I think they're 80 to 100 players. Yeah. Um, and that was, uh, for me, it was a great a great event for, for the podcast to have the armies out. Um, yeah. Kind of to have a look at. So, yeah, I mean, winning second, obviously joint second with Ian, Ian's Iron Jaws again, in that kind of field is that, that's a hell of an accolade. Um, and then to follow up by a first place at the GT finals as well. So, yeah, I bet you're super chuffed with that. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was a fantastic fortnight, yeah. Um, again, the kind of Stormcast were painted in a, a six-week period again, but, but with the low model count, I kind of spent, you know, each day spending extra time and extra time and extra time on them. So it was well worth the, the effort. Awesome. Brilliant. Well, we'll take a little bit, a little bit of a break there. And what we'll do when we come back, we're going to get a bit more into how you, how you basically plan and how you kind of approach your color schemes in particular, because they seem to be very, very particular strong points. So back in a minute. And welcome back. So we've kind of heard Chris talk about um well fucking well he's done with his armies let's be honest so definitely from what i've seen um and it sounds like a couple of mates would agree as well it's the planning stage and kind of the way you choose your color schemes um that seems really to be a strength of strength of yours so when you're you've mentioned six weeks quite a lot is there any particular reason why it's six weeks um because i'm hilariously badly planned at everything in my life <laughs> six weeks is kind of like the i mean when i'd done the stormcast i'd spent the the previous like three months painting corn because i was like corn are going to be it i'm going to invest army with corn yeah and i got to six weeks before face hammer and i was like oh fuck it just, just like chucked them all in a box upstairs and went and bought the stormcast so um yeah i don't know there's no there's no kind of magical uh magical um number for six weeks but it just seems to be how i end up leaving it every time fair enough so when i you like hit... put myself under pressure so when you hit that six weeks are we talking about six weeks armies built basing ideas sorted it's undercoated ready to paint or do you start your whole process at six weeks so yeah the, the stormcast there was this yeah six weeks till six weeks till face hammer mm-hmm. so i kind of sat down ripped 20 army lists picked one yeah uh and then went on uh element games and ordered it and uh yeah kind of took it from there really i i pretty much i would say probably 80 percent of it was all kind of sprayed up at the same time and did um, you did you make any change you talk about that list did you make any changes to that list did you play any games in the in the time between ordering the army and getting it to getting it to the event yeah, I did. Originally, I didn't have the Fulminators. Right. Um, so there, I had a Knight Venator and a Lord Castellant. Mm-hmm. And I found every time with the Castellant, he just ended up out of range of the Star Drake, the one thing I was trying to look after um, with him. Um, so he just became redundant. And I played a couple of games, and he just got shot off or was just generally crap. Um I know a lot of people use him very well, but he just obviously didn't suit how I wanted to play with the army. Um, so he got binned, Venator got binned, and then that left me with enough points for um, a unit of Fulminators. Okay. And then I think there was um, something else went in the bin which left space for Mistweaver. She wasn't originally right. in the list. Um, but I think it kind of – she was like the last addition, I think, in the end – because um, I just wanted to add something that wasn't Stormcast, but try and retain something in that kind of colour scheme. So she's got gold detailing. She's got red hair to match the kind of ongoing red theme throughout the army. Yeah. Um, but it was just something different. 
Yeah, just but she she still looks, you know, if you if you set her out with the army, she still looks like a coherent part of that army. Um but just without being um a Stormcast model. I think the um the Fulminators are quite a good addition to the Stormcast army on a visual level because they they're the different height. Mm-hmm. They're kind of the midway between the infantry and the Star Drake. Exactly, it's, yeah. It's, get, it's, yeah. A, it's, it's a similar thing to Gorgrunters and Iron Jaws armies. Yeah. Where you kind of need them for the transition of height. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I think it's it probably, from a painted perspective, it probably works well to have them in the army instead of the two other two character models who are more infantry. Yeah, well, it, it added a kind of a bit more coherency as well with the um, Dracoths being the same colour as the Star Drake. Uh, they had robes on, which I kind of I don't think anything else in the army had. So I matched the purple robes up with Mistweaver's purple robes. Oh, right, yeah. So it kind of ended up being being helpful to kind of add a kind of couple of extra little kind of detailed bits of colour, um, but still wrapping it all up into kind of one scheme. And where did the where how did you come to the colour scheme? Um, I was looking through the book and I, I kind of saw the I wanted to do them gold, um, but I think it was Helden Hammer, which are the black ones. Yeah. I really like just the the kind of um, flat black surfaces, just with with nice edge highlights on them. Um, and as I was kind of going to try and do a kind of a bit of extra technical ability on these. Um, it just started off by doing I just done the shoulder pads black and then as I went through the units I just started adding like random knee pads um, or elbow pads or or like um, hand kind of armor just doing little black bits that I could just add um, you know gray highlights to which I can you know I could do crisp edge highlights and stuff on um, and black and gold has always worked great together mm. and then when it came to um, doing the uh star drake and stuff uh originally he was like a a green color i painted him like um stegadon scale green and then kind of highlighted him up with green and it right. just looked awful with the black and gold armor yeah um, i can see that so yeah. he he went back to kind of um back to black and then uh started again with uh with red so that was when i decided to do all the the kind of detailing red, um, like the hair and the uh, the loincloths and stuff. Um, red's personally like a strong point for me. It's a bit of a, a comfort zone. I always find mm-hmm. some colours um, I struggle with. Red I always find really easy. Not not easy as such, but do you know what I mean? Like I think I'm sure everyone must everyone must have it. They've got like a special kind of combination they do for for one color that they find easier than the other colors that they just kind of get a consistently good effect on um yeah no i totally agree it's, it's uh, weirdly it's orange for me of all colors orange is my bag yeah 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 everyone's kind of got their um my friend john um years ago used to paint a lot of blood angels and he he was a, a an unbelievable high high level painter and uh, he used to go through. Um, he used to just always do blood angels. Everything was red. Mm. Um, but he would he would glaze down with like purples and blues and stuff just to add kind of different tones and different hues. And he would paint a a cloak just like bright red, 
and then he'd spend like three hours with one drop of paint in ten parts of water, yeah. just glazing it down purple and blue and purple and blue and and just make these unbelievable cloaks that, that looked like they'd been had five hundred layers of, of red kind of painted up from from black up to red. It was it was gorgeous. So I took a lot of a lot of that. There you know, especially on the Star Drake wings, there was an awful lot of kind of glazing. So just uh, a heavy amount of water, a couple of drops of paint, really, really watered down, and just kind of adding shades, changing the, especially like the Star Drake wings. I wanted them to have that kind of galaxy purple feel. Yeah. So they were washed down yeah. with purple a lot, and then like, like glazed down with blue as well. Um, uh, God knows how many layers, hundreds. How do you, what's your normal process of painting then? Are you a, so a lot of people will identify with the idea of a, you know, a mid-tone base coat or maybe a kind of a darker base coat, a wash and then a highlight up. Generally speaking, does that tend to be your approach? How do you, if you've got a blank canvas, how would you approach it? Yeah, I would say with with all of mine, I generally tried to start with either like, yeah, probably a, uh, a mid-tone. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Stormcast would just, sprayed straight out of the can uh gw um i think it's retributor armor so i will make a note on that it's interesting i almost bought a can the other day why is it 18 quid why um, is it it's made of it's diluted with the uh, unicorn semen it's, and uh it's full of gold <laughs> i know it's just i just i, I grab a can up just absentmindedly because i want to do i want to, i've got some stormcast i'm going to sell and i need to um, I thought, oh, I'll grab some of that gold. That'd be fine. I've got, I'm doing some Lord of the Rings as well, so I've got some Easterlings I need to do. And I picked up the can, and I didn't have a price on it. And the ones next to it were, you know, ten pound or discounted, whatever, less than a tenner. And then the guy said, oh, it's eighteen quid. What? What for all this stuff? No, for the for the paint. Like, oh, uh, I will just use my airbrush instead then. Just, it, I found it really jarring. I, I was genuinely surprised. Ordered two cans. You know what it's like. You just kind of get what you need and, and off you go. So, um, to be honest, it's a very, very strange spray paint. You spray it on and it looks almost clear with like gold speckles. So you spray it on and the model still looks grey with like speckled gold on it. Mm. And you think, oh, fuck, I'm going to need to like go over that again or, or whatever. And then as it dries, it just seems to. Um, it seems to just just cover so um some of my models i'd kind of like pumped over and then left for a couple of minutes and it still looked crap so i pumped over again and then that was just kind of just way too much and and blocked everything out so you kind of need to just spray it and then leave it to fully dry and just have faith that it will cover it's it's definitely different to every other spray paint i've ever used that's interesting because I've had a few people kind of message me saying about the retributor spray. I don't think they've had great results with it. So interesting that you just it, it leaves a weird effect. Leave it the fuck alone, let it dry, and then yeah. get back to it. Yeah, for sure. It was it was it was definitely different to every other spray paint I've ever used. You kind of had to just trust that you had covered it like you would a normal model, mm. and not not go back to it and not add any extra, and then just leave it and wait brilliant tip i mean like i said i've not used it and i've heard people say it's quite it's quite different to use so that is interesting um and one of the other things i wanted to say as well is that um you've particularly with the stormcast are very strong with the contrast with your bases so how do you tend to approach your bases do you plan them initially or do you get the models part way there and then kind of think what would work what's, what's your approach for your bases yeah that's exactly it i'll kind of um i'll, I'll paint a model 
and then I'll just um, just kind of sit down and, and look at what I think would would be good. The Stormcast are obviously a lot of warm tones, um, a lot of red, a lot of like gold. So I wanted something cool to kind of contrast. I always try and get high contrast between the bases and the models. Yeah. Um, so kind of dark red and black, you don't get much more contrast than you do with white. So snow was a, um, a good option. And um, it was kind of also a little bit inspired really by, by Ian's, um, Ian's iron jaws. They looked fantastic on the snow at um, heat two. So uh, pinched that out of him. I, I will admit I did go on his Twitter and, and have a couple of looks at his iron jaws and uh, stole a little bit yeah. from the basin scheme. So that was that was um, a big help. Yes. How did you do the snow? Was it with the GW stuff? Yeah, just it? with the GW stuff. So when yeah, I first did it, it didn't it didn't look great to be honest. It looked quite patchy. Um, and then I went on Twitter and had a look at yours, and it was kind of like where you've got like raised surfaces, like you know, big areas of where you'd done like cork base or something and you, you'd yeah. covered solid and then had it at the edges where it kind of, um, kind of dissipates a bit. That was, that was actually a big tip. So then I went back over the flat surfaces again and made the, the highest flat surfaces solid with snow. And that actually gave a much better effect. You could get kind of consistent as it would be. It's kind of almost like a realistic way of doing snow. Yes. It's, it's one of these things that helps with the with the different layers of cork. Yeah, so you can you can create the naturalistic effect because if it's yeah. just a flat base, yeah, it looked terrible if it was just all white. Yeah, oh for but, sure, for sure. So it's yeah. The other thing I quite like doing is putting the um, working into tufts. Yes. So the that so the tufts have all got a little bit of snow worked into the actual bristles. Yeah. So it's kind of it creates the so it looks like snow looks like rather than random patches everywhere exactly that's exactly what I, I did actually i saw that you'd um you'd put on your twitter about the winter tufts from um army painter i think they were element games ones yeah. so i went on and ordered um five packs of them and that's that's what mine have got and the snow actually from gw does it breaks up in those tufts really nicely and just give you loads of little beads um, yeah in in the tufts so it's, you know it's really good it's the fact with the GW Snow, and when we talk about the GW Snow, we are talking about the Valhalla Blizzard, is that you, I like the fact that you can keep going back to it, <clears throat> so you can add yeah. a little bit more if you don't think it looks quite right. Um, yeah. I don't know if you've used it, but I, I do want to pick up one of the, the basically the snow applicators, because everyone keeps raving about them. Um, I've got a cut-down, um, co- uh, not cocktail stick, a coffee stirrer at the moment, so I definitely want to pick up like the proper one. It's a couple of quid, but I want to give oh. it a try. Yeah, the like the black spatula. Yeah, that's type it. one. Yeah. yeah, I've got one. I've got one. I, it came with the tints kit. Right. Um, so and they. Um, I think it's too because they intended for you to like pull out a little bit and then mix it with others. Right. Like, pots of paint. I don't know. Anyway, it comes with two of the tints kit. Um, but yes, it's surprisingly good. Um, because it's like. One like a shovel and one more for finer detail work. Yeah, well, you and you and Ben Johnson are both people who are now recommending that to me, and Gary, I think, as well, from uh, Age of Sigbrass. So, yeah, I think I need to put one of them up. What about you, Chris? What did you use to apply your snow? Um, just a brush. Just Yeah, just brushed it out and smashed up a brush in it. 
I like using kind of tatty old brushes. I, I keep, I, I'm a kind of a bit of a, a hoarder with brushes. I don't really throw them away. I just keep them and, until they're just, yeah. until all the bristles have come out, I keep them. Because even when there's one left, I use it for freehand or something. So <laughs> I like to try and There's quite keep a few them. of us like that. You're not the only one. Yeah, I just, um, I, I don't tend to buy too many brushes. I'd rather just um, kind of just make do with what I've got, I suppose. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, so talking about tools it's themselves, I mean, if we take a step back from the Stormcast for a second, um, you know, your 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 Sylvan F showed a good good use of the airbrush there. So what what's your kind of background with airbrushing? Is it something that you were kind of experimented with for the Sylvan F army? Because it's not a small investment to invest in a in an airbrush itself. So what, what kind of ended up with that being mainly used? Um, yeah, it was, um, well, it's just kind of a spur of the moment purchase, really. I'd um, obviously I'd bought the Sylvan F and I was looking at a couple of online videos and most people were airbrushing them. Um, so I just like Googled airbrush and, and it turns out there was a, a, a store like 15 minute drive away from here, um, airbrush and paint. Um, so I just, uh, just, got in the car and drove down there and uh, he set me up with uh iwata neo i think it is which mm-hmm. is like a starter airbrush yeah um, and a compressor and, and a few other bits so yeah that did that, like you say that did cost a couple hundred quid um but it was just kind of something that I'd, I'd kind of set on if if i wanted to kind of do um painting and do it quickly and to a high level then that was just something i had to have so again just bought it um on the spot there and then after watching five youtube videos <laughs> yeah i mean there is there genuinely is great great um footage out there on youtube uh looking at airbrushing i mean do you um do you use many gw paint uh, non-gw paints to say is there any kind of go-to's um or you um, full gw wanker i only airbrush with well i say and i only um until about a fortnight ago i only airbrush with vallejo model air okay yeah so they come pretty much diluted as you want them um so you don't really have to unless you want to get kind of a special effect out of them you can just squirt them straight into the airbrush um i didn't get gw paints for the airbrush just because i couldn't be asked to try and dilute them to the same level every time especially if you're base coating a whole army and you're like oh Two two drops of, you know, Memphis and red, and two drops of something else. Like it's just it's just going to be inconsistent. So, uh, it was it was um, just getting getting them straight out of the bottle. So I was always using Vallejo Model Air, and then um, over the last kind of two or three weeks, I've been using Scale seventy five. Yeah. Um, which do go through the airbrush, um, pretty much neat. I have diluted them a couple of times just to try and get a different effect a bit more softer um kind of look to it but i'm pretty impressed with them to be honest they've been one of the most um impressive things i've tried in a long time yeah they're really scale 75 paints they are <clears throat> that I, I do consider them painter painters paints they're very good i've using them uh, as essentially using them as the base colors on all my zine charming i'm working on at the moment and yeah they're really nice paints to work work with for sure um well, that's, that's any, anything else you use any kind of washes you default to or do you tend to just use all the gw stuff yeah everything else is pretty much gw um like i said i mean scale 75 recently i've bought probably about 15 15 colors off them um for the the death so i've actually been uh using 
um, some of those colours with like Lamy and Medium to yeah. make uh, washes for the um, like the Spirit Host and stuff I've been working on. But um, yeah, with the Sylvaneth, the Stormcast, and the Corn, everything was was pretty much apart from through the airbrush was um, all GW paints. The um, the uh, gold especially, like the the Retribute gold, Liberator gold, fantastic paints from GW. They're, I think their metallics are probably still the best. Yeah, the I've somewhat only recently really um, found Retribute Gold, um, Liberator Gold, and Stormhost Silver, and they're all fantastic paints, all fantastic. Yeah, and I've raved yeah. enough about the the edge paints as well, which I think are just excellent. Um, yeah. and I think that's great. I mean, it's like GW is is fantastic to put a paint range out that we can just use straight away. You know. Yeah. You know, you well, you've you've used um, liquid gold though, haven't you before? Yeah, I used it. Um... I used it to paint my face gold and my eyeball. <laughs> I'm um, saying this. Which went down really well with the wife when I covered our brand new house in gold. Who's the, um, who's the manufacturer for liquid gold? I can't remember, but it's... Um, I think it's Vallejo, isn't it? Is it Vallejo? Cause it's a, it's a, is it an enamel-based paint? It's, it's not a... It's um, alcohol-based. Alcohol-based. Yeah, so you can, only, you can only dilute it with alcohol, which is... Um, it, it does a great... Like, if you want a smooth consistent gold i mean it's it's fantastic but it doesn't um take washes at all no. it's like if you were to paint like a um a storm cast with it and then wash it it would look like absolute dog shit because it just it just doesn't it doesn't pull in the right places it's got right. that weird i don't know if you ever used to paint if you ever had to hand undercoat a metal model when yeah. you were like seven yeah. and you yeah. didn't wash it and it, it would all move all the paint would kind of spread to different bits yeah and separate out yeah. oh it's just like that it was yeah so oh, i went to kind of once you'd done the liquid gold you then had to dull coat it um and then leave it um for a little while and let that dry if you then wanted to wash over the top of it um i mean it's, it is fantastic if you want a, a bright gold you almost don't have to highlight it as well it's it's weird it kind of because it takes the light so well because of the right. gold content in it it almost auto highlights so you could literally just um paint it on and then wash it and it, it would be a fantastic you know super super bright gold yeah. like chrome levels but um yeah i exploded a pot and that was the end of it for me to be honest <laughs> yeah <laughs> i wanted to, I wanted to uh, it's on my bucket list of stuff to try because I, I fancy doing some custodes with it but um yeah yeah after hearing about you dropping it and getting it in your eye and everything i was like oh it just sounds horrible yeah, the top. The, I was like squeezing the bottle, and the top came off, and it, it shot like all over my face, and it literally into my eye, and Just I then had to pour. But then it's like it's non-dilutable, so no. I, I, I like tipped water over my face, and it was all still there. If anything, it just helped set it. So then I was just felt, <laughs> had to go in the bathroom and pour isopropyl alcohol in my eye, which was fucking horrible. Yeah, that doesn't sound good. So yeah, you know, don't be like me, kids. <laughs> <laughs> and um it, it byron's actually interestingly on talking about element games byron's got some uh, tutorials on there which uses a liquid gold um so if you are interested in it um i'm no expert so i can't cover it but if you're interested in applications of it do do check out their little tutorials um and the next thing i want to say is you so i mistakenly thought you had a display board for the silver Neth, but it was actually the stormcast so yeah. what, what pushed you to do the display board for the stormcasts 
Um, it was just, um, you know, I got the, the face hammer ticket and, and I know that they were, they were saying about doing display boards to bring along. Um, so again, I done a, this time I actually went further. So like I said, with, you know, drawing attention with the, um, with the arm list holder, I did another one, um, with the, the Stormcast. I did a, I found that I had a lovely, uh, filigree frame, which actually had my certificate at work in. I had like three matching frames with all our certificates in. Um, so I went into work one morning and pikeyed one of the frames. And um, in the end, I, in the end, it, I couldn't find another one. I couldn't get another one of those frames. So I had to, to reframe all the certificates in the studio. Um, but yeah, it was um, it was like a lovely filigree frame. And then I glued a um, from the starter kit one of the. Uh, um, Oh, I've just lost it now. Um, Relictor? No, close. It's the one of the... Um, they've got their... Oh, what are they? Prosecutors. No, no, the other ones. <laughs> There's only like four in the... Retributors, Retributors. Liberators. There we go. Yeah, Retributors, yeah. So I put I put the uh, one of the Retributors on top of the frame and then sprayed it all and then literally followed the steps as I did to my army. So the frame was painted to match the gold armor on my army again. Um, and then done that with the display board, ordered a little plaque online. Um, and then, yeah, so that was kind of bringing the whole army together. And was Again, that... trying to do everything for it. Yeah, and that, was that done because you knew that people would be bringing their display boards? You knew that was something you would expect to see there? Yeah, for sure. I thought, I thought that um, there would definitely be uh, a few there um, with that. I mean... I know that was uh, something that they did say. Um, I think it was on the, either on the podcast or um, in the events pack. They, you know, Facehammer did mention about bringing a, a display board. I know that a lot of people generally, you don't generally see them at um, heat events. So no. obviously um, April was my first ever heat and then Facehammer was only my second tournament and it was only um, my first ever independent. So... Um, that was kind of all new to me. So I didn't really know what to expect. I didn't know to expect whether like everyone would be there with a display board or with these really elaborate displays or whether that's just kind of a, Oh, here comes another display board wanker. Yeah. So well, painted by I G just, painted by G had his, which was, yeah, something else. Yeah. I was actually like, I, I was on the, in the car on the way up there and, um, it got retweeted and he put like something like on the way to face hammer. I just looked down and I just went, Oh fuck. Like I knew instantly. <laughs> like I was like, Oh well, the best I can hope for is a second this weekend. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's brilliant army obviously. So yeah. And you didn't yeah. think you didn't consider doing anything. Cause obviously with the silver net, like you said, you've got your army list, you've got your display board. You didn't kind of consider doing every, any other kind of, shenanigans like a, an army like an army list book um uh, you know just anything kind of like you said did you dice tray nothing like that appealed this time no ideas came to mind no it's just um quite a short of time really Depends i remember dressing doing... up as a relictor or anything yeah i was going to um but i couldn't fit my my abs into the uh into the <laughs> <laughs> nice Nice, because you're. Um, I think we'll probably mention it to be honest, because um, um, obviously some people won't be aware. But you've got your your Twitter handle, uh, which we we'll mentioned towards the end. But you're. Um, what 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 do people do you call do you call do you refer to yourself as a tattoo artist? What do you call yourself? Yeah, yeah, tattoo artist. Yeah, tattoo artist. Cool. So you are a a, a tattoo self employed um, tattoo artist. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, that's yeah. I've got day. my own studio in that's Norwich. See, I feel like. 
I need to, I keep meaning to get tattoos done and I feel like I know you, so I could probably get, I should ask you to do some, but then I don't. Maybe I should get a pro <laughs> painter tattoo done on my arm or something. That'd be legit. Yeah, for sure. I think you need it. Would you vote for that, Rob? Uh, Rob, Ian? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. On your ass. Pro painted tattoo on your ass. Um, do I have to? Well, no. It's either that or you can get Magaluf 2K17. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have Magaluf 2017. Brilliant. <laughs> so, yeah. Do you find that mm. the what you've kind of learnt with and the way that you approach tattooing, do you find that applies and moves over to kind of painting in AOS as well? Do you find it transferable? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of it is because a lot of it is like, um, like you said, if you're doing like um, portraits or something like that, it's all about um, OSL, like mm. source, you know, light sources and, and creating shadow, um, high and low contrast. And then, yeah, you know, a lot of it is kind of just artistic, really. It's, um, a lot of it's definitely transferable. I work, you know, I work around projects the same. I'm very, very all over the place, especially like when it comes to tattoo designs and, and right. Warhammer. Um, you know, sometimes I'll say, look, today I'm going to paint 10 skeletons. I'll sit down and I'll paint the first skeleton's legs and then I'll be like, oh, fuck this. I can't be bothered. And I'll just go <laughs> pick up Arcan and, and work on him for a couple of hours and then I'll be like, Oh, bored of this now. I'm going to go pick up a die wolf and do something like that. It's just, you know, I'm, I'm the same with a lot of things. I like, you know, being creative and I like being busy, but I'm just kind of a little bit kind of ADHD on that in that way. Yeah. But I think that's probably a, a key to productivity really, rather than going, Oh, I can't be bothered to sit down and paint these 10 skeletons. I'll go um, sit in my pants and, watch jeremy kyle i'll just go pick something better to do you know just if, if i'm not feeling um painting you know battle line units i won't beat myself up over it i'll just leave them and go paint something i'm more interested in something that's a bit more fun um so interest what you, you'd said about kind of motivation i think that's something that i do as well so um an example being and i kind of don't know why but there are awesome models but i've got kyrick acolytes in my zinch army that i'm doing and painting <laughs> 10 of those you know you, you they're enjoyable to paint you finish the 10 you're like oh thank god right they're done i mean god you do not move on to another 10 chiric acolytes again you know um and i think it's same thing do something different pop a character in there so if you're ever planning to paint an army don't go right so i've got 30 liberators in my vanguard wing i'm going to sit here and i'm going to paint my 30 liberators do five do a character do another five do some Dracoffs, do another five, you know, mix it up. Because particularly if you're just plugging away at a project, like you say, consistency is key as well. If you're just plugging away at a project because you're constantly doing it, you're kind of remembering what you're doing as you go along. So you're never going to lose that momentum. And yeah, it's, yeah, it's definitely worth it. So that's a bit of an, ex not an extreme version, but an alternate option of going, right, I'm going to paint these guys' shields. Now I'm going to go do a bit of arc. I'll do a bit on Arcan. I'm going to paint these guys' legs, and I'm going to paint Archon's face. And then, so it, it definitely is, don't get, once you get bored of painting, I think that can really be an enemy of productivity. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and, and forcing yourself to do something doesn't help. Like, if you, if you sit down and think, I'm going to, today is my hobby day, I've got a day off, and I've got four hours to paint, I need to paint 20 skeletons, 
that that is just gonna you know sometimes you'll you'll be fine with it and you'll just go yeah okay that's what i need to do mm. and then other days you'll just be like i'm really not feeling it. i can't be bothered and there's just no harm in just saying that it's a hobby at the end of the day like that's how i stay motivated because if i don't want to do it i'll just do something that i do want to do i'm not going to force myself to do something that i don't want to do because i'm just not going to stay motivated enough to do it so i'd, I'd rather just say you know i just can't be bothered to paint skeletons at the moment i'm going to go paint an eldar tank and you know i'll do it because at least it keeps me painting at least it keeps me doing something and pushing forward but i'm actually having fun and i think it's actually very i agree there's something very much being to be said for that you know don't just you know yeah we've got deadlines and we know stuff needs doing but don't just force yourself every single day or very regularly to be painting the same thing over and over again bring something different in give yourself a bit of a break you know even if you just paint a little bit of freehand on one skeleton shield you know do something a little bit different so i think that's yeah wise words for i think sure. i think um going to something that's a totally different color helps as well yeah yeah so if you're going for if you're going from skeletons to eldar because the, the palette is so contrasting it feels like you pick, you're doing something literally totally different yeah even if you're still just painting it's very yeah. psychological yeah yeah i mean it's not something i want to keep mentioning but um you know working on my zinch at the moment i think what i found although the models are incredibly detailed um and they are fun to paint but there's so much going on on them um that it doesn't get too boring because you can paint one thing red one thing blue you can blend in a bit of blue and blue and red and you can do some purple over here and bright blue here and do a bit yellow and do a bit of green and it just it's really refreshing because you don't get stuck in that same palette um i mean my stormcasts aren't finished they probably never will be because jen's using them now going forward but i was getting sick tired bored of yellow and black yellow black yellow black and that was it that's all i was painting oh a bit of yeah. metal yellow <clears throat> black yellow but it's just it just becomes totally boring um, and you don't quite realise till you do an alternative stormcast scheme that actually the gold stormcast really don't have much painted. That so much of it is just gold. Yeah, well, that was another reason why I wanted to kind of add a lot of red and black and mm. and stuff into mine because you can't really kind of, you know, you can't add anything to gold. It's just gold. You can't you can't do nice freehand. Well, you, you probably can do nice freehand over gold, but it's very very hard yeah. to um, especially for it to to stand out, especially once you put them in a, a cabinet or under bright light. If you've done freehand on gold, whether it's in black, white, anything, it's just not going to stand out. You're not going to see it. No, no, I agree. I agree. Well, on on that note, well, um, you've mentioned a couple of times and you talk about these skeletons. So, what's your what's your what's your next project? What's your next six <laughs> six week project? my next uh, for once i've actually given myself six months rather than six weeks so we'll no see how it goes way imagine um, what you can churn out in six months that'd be amazing <laughs> we're about to, we're about to find out so um yeah i'm going with the uh, legions and the gash um a few army lists i'm not um if i'm going to be totally honest i'm not convinced by the book right um i think it, it um you know i know we're not talking really games here as such but i think on a book point of view, it's made um, a struggling army even more struggling, <laughs> to be honest. Right, okay. Um, I feel like, you know, they've kind of um, thrown a brick at someone drowning in a river, but 
that well, that'll be uh, that'll be that'll be found out as we get there. But I, I think I think maybe that analogy would be better if they'd thrown a kind of small bathroom sponge at them while they were driving. <laughs> well, that, that'll yeah. help me float. Yeah, but we'll, we'll find out. I'm I'm sure there's there's more to come for death. So um, everything else GW's done is fantastic. So Legions in a Gash, I stuck with. Typically enough, like two weeks later, they came out with Daughters of Cain. Yeah, which well, looked that's stunning. what I was going to say. Has that not tempted you to change? Um, no, no. Just just that amount of flesh, just you know, keeps me up at night. So <laughs> there's me. no chance of that. Just airbrush it, easy, done. Yeah. Um, so no, yeah, I'm going with the. Um, I think there's there's some stunning models in the in the legions in the Gash army, yeah. um, and I'm just kind of having that struggle at the moment. To normally I'll write an army list, like I said, and and with the Sylvan Eth, it was like the first list I wrote, Stormcast, just picked the list on the first day. But the 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 death don't seem to be kind of, don't know, just struggling to kind of find anything that I think is even going to be semi competitive. Right. So I'm kind of now just picked models that I like the look of and kind of decided to to go with it and see see where I get to. Um, if the first list had 80 skeletons in, the second list had 60. Um, now after painting the first five, the list's got 40. Um, <laughs> tomorrow the list might have 10. Yeah. <laughs> so have you, you're talking about the painting. Have you, have you just settled on the colour scheme? Yeah, so I've gone with a, a kind of more blue gray kind of bone i wanted to stay away from the the standard kind of um bleached bone look to them yeah um so i've gone with a kind of more ethereal ghostly um it's almost like the space wolf palette if you know what i mean kind of um fang up through um the space wolf kind of range then into white for highlights um with the the traditional red um on the shields and um rusted like heavily rusted armor and, and weapons um so yeah i picked that up off um uh terry's um youtube video yeah um where he'd done the rust which was um either like an orange or a, a teal yeah mixed with baking soda a little bit of varnish and um and some pva glue fantastic um technique that is so i've actually been like weathering the shit out of everything making it look um, very undead. So, yeah, yeah it, really, it really pays off that that effect. I will say, and it, and it doesn't necessarily, you don't really notice it in photos so much, but in when you've got a three, the, you actually got the model in your hand, or you're looking at it, it look, it does really add an extra dimension to it. Yeah, especially with the the undead models, they're they're beautiful. There's so many like, like little um, in the blades, little grooves and pits and stuff, and they pick up that that kind of baking soda mix really well. So it gives it that kind of proper rusted effect so um yeah really loving that at the moment so i've been doing that on a lot obviously there's a lot of brass like um instruments with the, the musicians and stuff um so it's been a, a chance to do a bit of verdigree and stuff as well so just kind of pushing that been really uh really excited really enjoying doing them nice uh, and to be honest when you said about the bone interestingly i am i i experimented with a similar approach to that as well so i'd used um the base paint, um, I think Celestra Grey, uh, yep. instead of the bone. Because yeah. actually, I've always, historically, I've always struggled with bone. I don't know why. I think it might just be schools in particular because of the flat areas. My brain can't quite 
put together the kind of where I need to highlight and whatever. They always tend to look a bit rushed. Um, yeah. But I started doing, I used to start using Celestrate again. That was something, oh, again, so it's, if you are painting bone, you don't necessarily have to, you know, just get, literally get your bleached bone out. Um, you know, you, you most certainly can go down that route. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I quite like the, I'm quite liking the idea at the moment of toying with painting things with colours that you wouldn't necessarily use. So I yeah. think for my daughter's a cane for sco- for schools on those, for example, I'm tempted to go for like a really dark green kind of jade look to them. Which yeah, I think it look quite cool. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's nice to see. Mm. I, I tend to find that as well. Like you, you see um, a lot of kind of similar colour schemes, and it's nice to just to see stuff that stands out. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Well, fantastic. Well, um, before we go, I don't know if you've got a. If you, Chris Mills, could give us an essential hobby tip, what would it be? What would be your nugget of wisdom to share with all our listeners? It can be something you've already mentioned, but above and beyond, what would be your little kind of hobby gem? Um, just just keep keep trying harder. I see a lot of people who say they, they can't paint, and, and it's, you, you really can. It's, it's so easy to get a, an army that looks really good, so just keep keep pushing and just keep your patience um it's just it is just practice so um that's probably probably what i would say to kind of where where i went from last year from the silver Neth to the stormcast there was nothing different i didn't learn anything new in that time it was just you know sitting down taking the time um so if you want to do it yeah just just be patient with it and and keep pushing on projects and, and they'll get done I know. I think that's very true. I, I really, really do. I mean, I, you know, I'm one of those people who painting wise, I've been on a hell of a long journey painting and it's my initial painting efforts are, you know, appalling. Some people can which you within space of a year can go from painting their first model to churning out, you know, really good top, you know, top, top quality, um, you know, models on the table and uh, a, a chap um, we've got in our group, um, Tom, Tom Hewitt. He's, he's a great example of someone who's, He's quite artistic. He's managed to turn around that natural talent to mini painting very quickly and churning out some lovely models. But yeah, yeah. definitely perseverance without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. It, whether it takes you six months, a year, five years or 10 years to paint, you will get there. You definitely will always get there. For sure. Yeah, totally agree. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on, Chris. It's been, it's been brilliant to have you. Um, I'm guessing you are you're pretty good on Twitter. We see a lot of your work in progress photos. So if people want to see your stuff, is that the best place? Yeah, for sure. Twitter is the um, the best place to see my my hobby stuff. I kind of try and keep work stuff off there, really. Um, so try and just keep um, hobby on on Twitter. Awesome. Um, so that's the that's the best place if you want to see updates of the uh, Legions of Nagesh. Awesome. And your Twitter hashtag is um, at Fluffhammer. Is it Fluffhammer? Cool. Awesome. Um, well, yeah, that's it. I mean, um, if anyone um, listens to the show and got some, you know, particular feedback or questions for Chris, do do feel free to send them in. Um, one thing I do want to end on is it's not something I overly want to push, but I've been contacted by a fair few people, uh, not a fair few, but I've been contacted by a couple of people about ways to kind of individually support the podcast. So I have taken the leap and I have set up a uh, Patreon um, website. Um, we are on there. So the idea is that, um, you know, initial donations will be used to cover operational costs and then anything extras, then hopefully we can start going to the point where we can do weekly 
episodes, um, do extra episodes with different people covering very specific topics. So airbrushing would be a, a key one. Um, where at the same time we, I would love to do some kind of videos for YouTube as well. So you could even get to the point where you could have me, Rob and Ian with their own little web cameras chatting away while we're doing hobby and putting that up on, on YouTube or God forbid, maybe in Twitch in the future, you never know. Um, and there's also on the blog post website, which is the www.propaintedpodcast.co.uk. Um, people have asked if they want to donate um, cold, hard cash to the podcast. Um, you can do it through there. There's a, a pay me link on there for PayPal. And, and all that money used will go towards the podcast. Hookers and beer. Hookers and beer. Oh, <laughs> beer. Beer. I remember back in the day in the Black Sun where people used to go, yeah, Chris, it's 25 quid. Buy yourself a bottle of Jack Daniels. Those days sound good, but uh, you know, if, but if, if you do, if you, if there's something out there, like, you know, there is a particular product that you want us to try out. If you want us to say, Oh, I'm interested in that liquid gold. Here's seven quid, buy a pot and let us know, do it. We'll, we'll put a blog post up about it. We'll talk about it on the podcast. So do use it as a resource. If you want to just hear about us trying different bits and bobs, but that's it. I don't want to beg for your cold, hard cash too much, but it's always well received. And um, it means Ian doesn't have to go back to dealing pharmaceuticals on the mean streets of... Um, I don't even know where you are at the moment, Ian. <laughs> currently, I'm currently in Liverpool. Liver- oh, God, definitely. You're definitely out there dealing dealing on the streets of Liverpool. Self-employed oh, drug dealer. Why, oh, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, hits up on the usual, usual places. Um, as I said before, we are now fully functional on all social media outlets. So we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, or Pro Painted Podcast. You really can't struggle to find us. Um, but I think that's it. I think that's it for another show. Thanks a million times again for coming on, Chris. It's really good to chat to you. It's always nice to get these different perspectives on painting and our little hobby. So thanks for that. Thanks for having yeah, me. Thank you, Chris. It's really fun. And Cheers. Ian, Ian, you were fucking useless. You need to pick your game up for the next episode. I tell you that now. Yeah, <laughs> I con- I con- I I concur. I concur. Brilliant. All right, all right, guys. Smile you later. Cheers. Bye. Bye.